today we'll continue with uh, the rest of the chapter that was read out for us by Bani. By the way, thank you, Bani, for the reading of the word. All right, so as usual, let's begin with a story today. Uh, you know, the story is told of uh, a small pastor of a parish in Britain. And uh, he wanted to get a promotion, and so he invited the bishop over to his parish. So the bishop was going to come soon, and all the arrangements were made. And uh, he had a little boy, a little son, who wanted to see the bishop. And it's been his dream for a while, right from the time he was, uh, he was aware of things, that he wanted to see the bishop. And so uh, uh, the bishop was supposed to arrive on a particular day, and uh, it was late night. So this boy went to bed, and he was disappointed that he couldn't see the bishop that day. The next morning, he woke up and, realized, and understood from his father that the bishop had come late in the night, and so he's sleeping in the room. So this boy went to his dad, and he said, Dad, I'll serve the tea for bishop. Uh, the bishop has a habit of uh, drinking tea early in the morning, waking up, and so the boy said, I'll go and serve him tea. So the dad said, yes, but uh, there is some, you know, some kind of a protocol here. You know, I'm looking for a promotion. You realize that. So do the right things. What you need to do is you need to go and knock on the door with this cup of tea. And the bishop, in his British accent, in his thunderous voice, will say, who goes there? And so you've got to say, it's the boy, my lord. It's time to wake up. It's the boy, my lord. It's time to wake up. Don't get the wrong, please. It's the boy, my lord. It's time to wake up. And so this boy, he rehearses. He's just about five or six years old. He rehearses it a lot. And uh, the time comes. He takes a cup of tea. And he walks to the door. He knocks on the door. And the bishop's thunderous voice comes. Who goes there? And this fellow, just listening to the voice itself, he fumbled. He stuttered. And then he somehow mustered up all of his voice and courage and strength. And he said, it's the Lord, my boy, your time is up. <laughs> That's life, isn't it, sometimes? It's confusing. Dr. James Dobson talks of the time when he learned about the lessons of life, some important lessons of life, when he played a game of Monopoly with his, with his children and his family, he says. He said, his, when his daughter was a teenager, she came home one day, all of a sudden, and she said, Dad, I discovered a game that you would love, and it's called Monopoly. And the dad just smiled. The kids hadn't known that uh, the dad is an expert in Monopoly, so they set the, the board there, and they all started playing. And all of a sudden, they were shocked to find out, and it didn't take long for them to realize that the dad is an expert in that game, because he started uh, purchasing all of the properties. And uh, after the victory, he, when he foreclosed the final property, after the victory, he did a little dance, and the family didn't, wasn't very impressed by that because uh, they thought it was cheating. And so at the end of it, it, it was midnight. Uh, the family said, we're going to go to bed. Uh, you put everything back in the box. So here, James Dobson, he says, as I took all the money that I had and all the properties of of course, it's a game. But all the properties that I had bought and collected, and I was putting all of that in the box, he says, a very empty feeling came over me. Everything that I had accumulated was gone. The excitement over riches was just an illusion. And then he says, and then it occurred to me, hey, this is just 
this isn't just about the game of Monopoly that caught my attention. This is the game of life itself. You sweat and strain to get ahead. But then one day, after a little chest pain or a wrong change of lanes on the freeway, the game ends. And you all go back into the box, is what James Dawson says. James Dobson says. You all go back into the box. Is that all that life is about? Is it about just going back into the box? Is there no purpose for it? And if there is a purpose for life, how do we find it? How do we understand the meaning of life? Or how do we find the purpose for our life? Or a better question here for this congregation would be, do our pursuits of knowledge and career and position help us find this meaning in life? Do our pursuits of knowledge in education and career and position help us find this meaning of life? You know, remember... Uh, just uh, a month ago, about a month ago, precisely on the 8th of June, I think, uh, the world was in a state of shock when we heard about the death of the celebrity chef, uh, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, he was found dead in a hotel room in France. And his mother, Gladys, gave an interview, I think, to the Times, and she said he had all that the world could give him, money, power, fame, and all of that, and yet I can't seem to figure out why a person like that could die. I can't seem to figure out why a person like that could die. So this morning, let me ask you this question. Is it possible that money, power, and knowledge do not satisfy the soul? Is it possible that money, power, education, position, knowledge, all of these do not satisfy the soul? Is it possible that these things do not bring fulfillment to our lives? Or better, since most of us are working professionals and the others of us are students, let me say this precisely for this congregation. Does education or our career goals help us understand the meaning of life? Does education or our career, our pursuit of career, help us understand the meaning of life? Solomon answers all these questions in our morning's passage for us. Remember, he had all of the knowledge that anybody could accumulate. He had unparalleled wisdom, enormous wealth, international respect, and uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And however, he didn't have happiness always. The Bible says he didn't have happiness always. So in the first 11 verses that we studied last time when I spoke, we see that Solomon told us very clearly that work in from the human perspective, is completely meaningless. Work from the human perspective is completely meaningless. And so Solomon, in chapter, uh, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, he examined three broad categories in his search for meaning in life. He examined human history, and he examined physical nature. He examined human nature. But now, in the verses that are in front of us, for us to study, he narrows his search to his own personal experience. He narrows his search to his own personal experience. In a sense, he takes us on his own uh, personal spiritual journey and he searches for satisfaction in life. He searches for satisfaction in life. And the verses that we'll study now in the verses that follow, Solomon informs us that he sought for meaning through knowledge and through knowledge of philosophy. 
So today's passage will reveal to us two things, two very simple things. Now, please give me your undivided attention. This is a very, very simple message, and yet it has profound implications for each one of our lives. So give me your undivided attention. Today I won't take long, perhaps for the next 35 minutes, give me your undivided attention. So today's passage will reveal to us two things about the pursuit of knowledge, pursuit of education, all our learning, and how it cannot bring fulfillment to our life how it becomes meaningless if taken in the wrong perspective. So in verses 11 through 15, we'll see that knowledge of the universe does not help you understand the meaning of life. Knowledge of the universe does not help you understand the meaning of life. There are some profound questions and impenetrable enigmas in life that knowledge alone cannot satisfactorily answer. There are certain things about life that knowledge, mere knowledge alone, cannot satisfactorily answer. And he comes to this conclusion and he explains in four steps as to how Solomon came to this conclusion. Firstly, we look at all the four steps. Firstly, Solomon's quest was sincere and comprehensive. Solomon's quest was sincere and comprehensive. Look at chapter 1, verses 12 and the uh, the first part of verse 13. I, the preacher have been a king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Starting in this verse, in verse 12, the preacher Solomon speaks for himself and invites all of us on a spiritual and intellectual quest. But he begins this quest by giving us his credentials. He says, I, the preacher, have been a king over Israel in Jerusalem. Remember in chapter 1, verse 1, he began with the same credentials. Why do you think he wants to reiterate his credentials here? The fact of the matter is, it is to remind us that he is a man who had everything that the world had to offer. He is a man who had everything that the world had to offer. If anybody could have found satisfaction in life through earthly means, it was Solomon. And so he begins by giving all of these credentials. With all of those qualifications backing him, he comes and says in verse 13, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Solomon was a seeker. He asked the ultimate questions of life. And here he is writing from the vantage point of old age experience, telling us what he learned from his long quest to understand the meaning of life. Now, we must also very carefully understand the nature of Solomon's quest. His quest was very, very sincere. Look at the words that he uses. He says in verse 13, I applied my heart. I applied my heart. He devoted his heart and soul to knowing the truth. His, His quest was very, very sincere. Secondly, his quest was comprehensive as well. The words seek and search in verse 13 show how serious he is about his search. So Solomon wanted to take it all in. He didn't want to leave anything behind or anything outside so that his conclusions about life would be as definitive as possible. So he set about investigating every area of human life. And that's why he uses the phrase, all that is done under heaven. This man, this philosophical genius, God himself has endowed him with such a blessing of wisdom. And he had a great knowledge and all of the wherewithal to pursue this quest. And this man says, I have pursued, I have sought and had a quest about everything that is done under heaven. It was comprehensive. It was sincere. 
I assume he studied literature and art. I assume he studied psychology and uh, sociology. I assume he studied astronomy and even physics and even theology and philosophy as well. So his quest was sincere and his quest was, was completely comprehensive as well. So that's the first thing that Solomon says about his quest. Then there's a second thing as he develops his argument that Solomon says. Solomon saw the quest as a burden laid by God on mankind. He saw the quest as a burden laid by God on mankind. Look at the second part of verse 13. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. It is an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. Now we must understand, to understand Solomon's argument, we must understand that the kind of wisdom that he pursued was not divine wisdom. He was talking from a merely earthly perspective, from a horizontal perspective. So when you, when you take God away from this earth, when you don't think about divine plans and divine revelations, all that is there on earth is the knowledge that Solomon is talking about. So he is talking about wisdom that refers to what people learn in this world. The best knowledge that the people of this world can come up with apart from divine revelation. So that's what Solomon refers to when he talks about wisdom. But let's be honest about it. It is a worthy pursuit for us to go and pursue knowledge in this world. Because all truth, by definition, is God's truth. Why do I say that? Because the whole creation, the whole universe is created by God. And when we go and pursue knowledge, when we go and dig and discover and invent things... Any truth that we discover about things is God's truth. It is a revelation of God's truth. It is a revelation of God's truth in nature. It is a general revelation. It is a worthy pursuit and we must pursue it. But the fact of the matter is, we need to ask the question, how far will human wisdom take us? How far will this mere earthly knowledge, this human wisdom, take us? And Solomon says, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be burdened with. It is an unhappy business that, has God, that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. What is this unhappy business that Solomon phrases it as? I think the unhappy business that Solomon is talking about here, maybe his very quest to understand the meaning of life. The burden that he is talking about, the unhappy business that he is talking about, is his very quest to understand, is his very pursuit to understand the meaning of life. God has given in his creation a desire to find fulfillment. He has given you a desire to find fulfillment. He has given me a desire to find fulfillment. And the task given to man is to find that fulfillment. And we acknowledge this task in the very fact that we are constantly as human beings searching for life's meaning and life's purpose. It is not just believers who do that. Everybody and in any part of the world, when you go and talk to them, they are looking for life's meaning and they are looking for life's purpose. It is a burden that God has laid on mankind. And Solomon, in this case, he tried to find that meaning. He tried to find fulfillment through knowledge and through philosophy. The longer he looked for answers, the harder he tried to understand the meaning of life, the more frustrated he became with all of life's unanswerable questions and impenetrable enigmas. Now, this is how we feel about our efforts to understand life from a merely earthly perspective. 
when we try to understand the meaning of life from a merely earthly perspective, by taking God out of the equation, it results in a state of affairs just like what Solomon is describing. Sooner or later, people come, will come away with frustration. They end up getting discouraged or depressed. This is normal. It happens all the time. William Wordsworth, um, who was a great English romantic poet, along with Samuel Taylor Coleridge, these two were instrumental in launching the romantic age in English literature. Some of you are literature students. You know what I'm talking about. Here are a couple of lines from his poem, Resolution and Independence. This is what it say, he says about uh, his own life as a poet. He says, we poets in our youth begin in gladness, but thereof in the end comes despondency and madness. We begin in our youth with gladness, but in the end it comes to despondency and madness. This is an honest person talking about life. He tried to find the meaning of life from a merely earthly perspective, and all he, find, all he found at the end of life was despondency and madness. Solomon put it so succinctly for us, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The quest for knowledge is one of our God-given tasks. The quest for knowledge is one of our God-given tasks. As people made in the very image of God, we ask the ultimate questions of life, and we must do that. And even people who deny God's existence ask questions about their own existence. It is a burden that God has given to mankind. And so Solomon saw the quest as a burden laid by God on mankind. Then there's a third development in the argument that Solomon gives. Solomon's pursuit of knowledge was unfulfilling. Solomon's pursuit of knowledge was unfulfilling. Look at verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is, there's the Hebrew word again, hebel. There is vanity, a striving after the wind. Everything is meaningless. Solomon says, after going everywhere and looking at everything, he reached the conclusion that all is hebel, all is vanity, all is meaningless. And at the end of all of his search with his knowledge, he experienced nothing more than emptiness. He experienced nothing more than emptiness. Again, we hear the preacher's favorite phrases here. He is looking under the sun. You see the phrase? He is looking under the sun, seeing at things merely from an earthly perspective, seeing at things merely from a human standpoint. And he also repeats the word vanity or vapor or meaninglessness. And then he introduces another metaphor for us that encapsulates all of his philosophy of life. He says it is a striving after the wind. It is a striving after the wind. You can never catch the wind. You know it, I know it. We try to catch it in our fist. It, it just doesn't happen. It is impossible for us to catch the wind in our hands. So from what Solomon has seen, based on personal experience, trying to figure out the meaning of life from a merely human standpoint, from a merely human perspective, is like trying to hold the wind in your hands. It is just impossible. It is just a futile thing to do, is what Solomon says. So, wisdom under the sun fails to satisfy the soul. Knowledge under the sun fails to satisfy the soul. It doesn't bring satisfaction. It doesn't bring fulfillment. Many intelligent minds have tried this, and, have, and they have come to the same conclusion as well. 
A couple of years ago, I was reading a book called A Brief History of Time. Some of you may have read it. It was written by Stephen Hawking. Stephen, sorry, Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking uh, passed away in the March of this year, I think. And uh, he was a former location chair of mathematics at the University of Cambridge. Now, that chair, that position, once upon a time was held by some great geniuses like Sir Isaac Newton, even Charles Babbage, the father of modern computers. So I think you need some brains to get there and hold that position. And this man, Stephen Hawking, held that position. And he, and he wrote in this book, A Brief History of Time. And near the end of it, he says this. Now, listen to what he's saying. The one question in need of an answer is the question of God. An agnostic talking about it. The one question in need of an answer is the question of God. Science with all of its strident gains must still remain contented to describe the what of human experience. Only God can describe the how and why of human experience. Science with all of its observation can only describe the what of human observation. Only God can talk about the purpose because it is only God who can infuse meaning and purpose into life. This is an atheist, an agnostic, talking about the brief history of time. At the end of it, he comes and confesses that it is only God who can fuse meaning into your life. So Solomon said it long ago. We don't have to hear from Stephen Hawking. Solomon says, I've seen everything under heaven I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. When we try to look for meaning under the sun, merely from an earthly perspective, this is the inevitable conclusion that any philosopher, any scientist, anybody will come to. That it's all a vanity. It's all meaningless. Fourthly, Solomon recognized that there's always some deficit in life. There's always some deficit in life. Look at verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Now the preacher king, he concluded the first stage of his quest with a proverb. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. That's the first part of it. There's a second part, he says, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Listen to me, please. There are some things in life that are crooked. Not in the sense that they are, they are criminal or immoral, but in the sense that they are so bent out of shape that they resist all our efforts to be put back into the right shape. Let me give you some illustrations. We suffer long-standing family conflicts. Some of us do. Estrangement between former friends. Wrongs done to us by somebody in power. Abusing the power, sometimes disease or disability, or our own failures, or the accidents that we have caused. And the list goes on and on and on. There's always something in life we wish we could bend back into shape, but it just doesn't happen. And that's why Solomon says, what is crooked cannot be bent back in shape. What is crooked cannot be bent back in shape. No matter how hard we try, we cannot bend our lives in a different direction. There are some people we just cannot manage. There are some problems that just don't seem to go away at all. So Solomon says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. Then there's a second part of the proverb, he says, what is lacking cannot be counted. What Solomon is saying is, we cannot make life add up. We cannot make life add up. Life is an account that refuses to balance out. 
we always can tell that there is a deficit but we can't exactly pinpoint where the deficit is and somehow just to balance out stuff what we do is we keep adding uh, stuff here and there only to make sure that at the end of it it's all balanced out but you know it i know it in our heart of hearts that we have fudged the numbers and here solomon recognized that there's always some deficit to life there's always something crooked there's always something that doesn't add up to life so that's what solomon's first quest was so in verses 11 through 15 we saw that knowledge of the universe does not help you understand the meaning of life knowledge of the universe does not help you understand the meaning of life so the preacher's first quest has failed this doesn't mean he was ready to give up however he took up another quest in verses 16 through 18 and that he took up in a completely different direction and you see that in verses 16 through 18 they say that knowledge of right and wrong does not help you understand the meaning of life knowledge of right and wrong merely does not help you understand the meaning of life philosophical pursuits can never bring fulfillment to your life or my life philosophical pursuits can never help you understand the meaning of life or can never bring satisfaction to your life and my life and again solomon develops this in a kind of an argument he develops this in three steps we'll look at the first one solomon set his mind on understanding right from wrong he set his mind on understanding right from wrong look at verses 16 and 17a the first part of verse 17 he says i said in my heart i have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over jerusalem before me and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge and i applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly after the first quest ended in failure he had a heart to heart conversation about himself about all that he had discovered and when he spoke to himself internally he said to himself i have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over jerusalem before me and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge now if solomon were alive today he would say to you and me you've heard of aristotle you've heard of plato you've heard of socrates they were all nothing before me what solomon is saying here is that he was the wisest man who ever lived on earth and yes god gave him that kind of a blessing and solomon's point here is yet he could not find satisfaction in education and learning he could not find satisfaction in education and learning now still solomon's quest was incomplete because he had not yet considered the claims of morality and so he tried to learn everything he could like somebody who goes to a liberal arts college and reads up all the books he did that kind of a thing and that didn't satisfy and all of a sudden he now gets to investigate the difference between right and wrong he tried to investigate the difference between right and wrong to find out what is right from wrong and become a morally better person and do good to others to see if that brings fulfillment or satisfaction to his life and so he took up a comparative approach look at verse 17 he says and i applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. What does madness and folly mean in this particular context? Solomon here is using madness and folly in the same way it's usually used in the Old Testament. 
Madness and folly refers to foolishness of disobedience to God. It refers to the wrong things. It refers to the foolishness of disobedience to God. Wisdom refers to uh, obedience to God. So when he says wisdom and madness and folly, Solomon is actually talking about pursuing the difference between right and wrong, trying to understand the difference between right and wrong, and through that, find the meaning of life. You know, that is the approach that many people take today as well. They want to try just to find out what is right from wrong. They just want to know what is right and wrong and try to be a better person by doing good and try to find meaning in life. They try to make the best of life's monotony by doing good to other people. So Solomon set his mind on understanding right from wrong. Then there's a second thing that Solomon says. Solomon did not find satisfaction in conventional morality. Solomon did not find satisfaction in conventional morality. Look at verse 17b. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. What was the result of the preacher's renewed quest? Did knowing the difference between right and wrong help him find fulfillment in life? Did becoming a better person and doing good to others bring satisfaction to his life? Not at all, says Solomon. He says, I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. In other words, he's saying that pursuit was meaningless as well. That pursuit did not bring satisfaction as well. I'll tell you why conventional morality does not seem to bring or does not definitely bring satisfaction to our lives. When we do good to others, when we go about trying to do good to others, we get really good at being relatively good. We always compare ourselves with somebody else and we think we are better than somebody else. But the fact of the matter is, we don't seem to consider the wrongs that we do because we are always trying to do good to others. What about all the wrongs in our lives? What about the evil and sin in our lives? You know, I remember one of the most poignant and yet funny letters ever written to the editor of any newspaper was written to the editor of the Times in England. There was a, a publication that was released asking for, uh, asking for essays and letters about what is wrong with the world. And G.K. Chesterton wrote one of the shortest letters ever possible. He says, Dear Sir, regarding your question about what's wrong with the world, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. I am wrong with the world. That's what is wrong with the world, and people don't realize that. People think just by doing good, that brings some kind of a meaning to life. But Solomon says that cannot. That just cannot bring meaning to life because each one of us at the end of the day is in desperate need of forgiveness before God and just sheer conventional morality can never bring satisfaction to your heart and to my heart. Solomon did not find satisfaction in conventional morality. Thirdly and lastly, Solomon realized that the greater knowledge about life brought greater sorrow. Greater knowledge about life brought greater sorrow. Look at verse 18. For in as much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. In much knowledge is much vexation, he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Do you agree with that? 
No response. Do you agree with that? Yes, because it's from the word of God. We have to. But let me explain what it does really mean. The more knowledge we acquire, the more we realize how ignorant we are. If you take up a particular subject, when you look at the subject from the outside, you will think it could be a small thing until you actually get into the subject. And the moment you get into the subject and study a bit, you know a bit, but then you begin to realize how vast the subject is and how much more you don't know. And that's why that brings a kind of a sorrow. That brings a kind of a pain. And the more you study, whether it's theology or anything, the more you study, the more you realize that there's so much more to study. And you sometimes feel that you're an ignorant fellow standing in front of people. Solomon says the same thing. He says, with much knowledge comes much sorrow and much vexation. Now, this has been a very, very serious thing, so let me just humor it up, but just uh, take it forward uh, as an illustration. Let me uh, talk about my, my wife, uh, Ange. Uh, she may not like it. I didn't ask her for permission, but, uh, but that's okay. We'll, we'll just take it forward. Now, as a doctor, she... <laughs> As a doctor, she has done a lot of uh, deliveries. Uh, she has delivered a lot of babies. Um, so it is good to have a doctor as a wife, but not always, because uh, you talk about headache and you get a lot of advice and all of that. So, so but that, that's a different story for a different day. But the other day we were driving for her, one of her scans, and she is, uh, she is due in September, September 1st week. We were driving for one of her scans, and uh, she looked at me and she said, as a doctor, let me tell you this, I can't even begin to list the number of things that could go wrong in a delivery. I didn't need to know that. <laughs> the moment I knew it, it's still stuck in my head and it's just two months more to delivery. With greater knowledge comes greater sorrow. <laughs> That's exactly what Solomon is saying here. In fact, Socrates, Socrates himself said, I'm the wisest of all Greeks because I of all men know I'm nothing. I of all men know I'm nothing. The more educated we are about current affairs and about things that are happening around the world, the more serious the world's problems appear to us. And the more we know about the human body and diseases, the more serious the disease looks that we are suffering with. Because with knowledge comes vexation. And with knowledge comes sorrow as well. T.S. Eliot once remarked when he said, All our knowledge brings us nearer to our ignorance. And Solomon realized that greater knowledge about life brings greater sorrow. So what's the point of this morning's sermon? The whole passage basically says, Education and ethics cannot help you understand the meaning of life. Education and ethics cannot help you understand the meaning of life. If you take a purely secular perspective and try to define life or try to answer the deepest questions of life, it just is not possible. It, it leads us to frustration. Now listen to me very carefully for the next 10 minutes, please, as I bring this to a close. Listening to Ecclesiastes may make us feel worse sitting here than how we felt when we, when we first walked in this morning. If that is the case, 
Solomon has achieved his purpose because that's exactly the purpose for which he is writing the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember, Solomon is showing us this world from a merely human standpoint, from a merely earthly perspective. This is the best thinking that human beings can do. But here is the good news, that this preacher, Solomon, is a believer in God. He believes in God, and that's why he mentions him by title in verse 13. He calls him Elohim, and he believes in God. But although he believes in God, he made a spiritual quest apart from God. He ran away from God, and he tried to make this quest surely on the basis of his knowledge and tried to find meaning in life by by. by, by trying and understanding things in the universe and also by trying to understand the difference between right and wrong. If we take a merely secular perspective and try to answer the most profound questions of life, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 is inescapable in our lives. We will come to the same conclusion that it's all meaningless, it's vanity, it's a chasing after the wind. So parents, let me just speak to you for a moment, please. In light of all that we've heard so far, I think we have a lot to think about because most of us are young parents here and we have a lot to think about, especially in terms of the best schools that we try to send our children to. And more often than not, we don't even care about the money that they take because the school is the best one. We drive it into their little minds often. At least it was the case when I was growing up that it's all about the accolades, it's all about the trophies, it's all about the grades. But I think as parents, we must give them the right perspective and help them understand that satisfaction does not merely come by going to the best schools or getting the best education or getting the best kind of learning, but satisfaction to life comes when you understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And as parents... We must teach our kids right from a very early, early age that human reason can only take us so far. It just cannot give meaning to life. Only God in his sovereignty can bring about that kind of a meaning that every human being looks for, even a child. And to those of us who work, let me speak to you for a moment here, please. Without God in the equation... All of our career goals, all of our titles, all of our big money will not bring meaning to our life. It just cannot have the right perspective, a perspective where God is the head of it all and God controls everything in your life. Let me also speak to students. There are some of you who study in college and kids here who, uh, who go to school. You could research all of the subjects, study all of the religion possible, and study all of the self-help books and all of that. And yet, without God in your life, it will end with frustration. It is simply going to end with frustration. The best way to get our degrees and to to get our grades is to do it God's way, in God's perspective. And that's the best way to do it. And for those of us in ministry, and I speak to myself very carefully as I speak to you as well, let's be careful in the things that we do in ministry as well. 
Because when we don't have the right perspective, where God is the Lord of our lives, even that can be frustrating as well. Even that can be frustrating as well. That's why there are a lot of burnouts in ministry. The Solomon of Ecclesiastes, having said all these things, he brings us to a place where we need a savior, where we see our need for a savior. Without a meaning coming from outside, from God himself, mere earthly perspective, mere earthly pursuits can never bring meaning to your life. They just cannot. It just cannot give you meaning. The preacher didn't know all of it till the end because he was in the Old Testament times, but we know it from this perspective that God doesn't come to us as naked deity, but he comes to us in the person of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes to us with his outstretched arms. In Hebrews 11.6, the writer of the Hebrews says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. When you seek God earnestly, he will reward you for your quest. It is God who rewards you for your quest. So you and I should not leave Ecclesiastes chapter 1 without remembering. Now listen please. Without remembering that Jesus entered into this world of vanity and vexation. Under the sun to show us the most wise way to live. And when we follow Jesus, eventually life will add up. It may never add up on this side of eternity. But I promise you, when you leave the final calculations to Jesus, you will be sure that he will make all the books balance out, including our own personal account, which he has reconciled to God by shedding his blood. 1 Peter 3, uh, 18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. The just for the unjust, to bring us to God. He has reconciled our personal account as well before him. One illustration, and I'll be through. Malcolm Muggeridge expressed his truth uh, very well. He was a British journalist who rubbed shoulders with the, the newsmakers of the day. The best news for him, he said, was the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a latecomer to Christ, but in his book, Jesus Rediscovered, and most uh, reviewers, people who review books, say that it's actually Muggeridge Rediscovered. It's not Jesus Rediscovered. It's Muggeridge Rediscovered. He says this. Now listen to this very carefully and how he brings out uh, the fact that it's only after coming to Jesus that he found meaning to his life. I may, I suppose, regard myself as a relatively successful man, People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the highest slopes of internal revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and even little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet, I say to you, says he, and beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, and they are nothing, less than a nothing, compared to one draft of living water that Christ gives to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who you are. Multiply all of the accomplishments, he says. They are just a tiny drop when compared to one draft of living water that Christ gives to the spiritually thirsty when you come to him. 
Are you seated here this morning and you don't know Christ? And you're trying to find meaning of life in your knowledge, in your education, in your learning, in trying to be good and a moral person? Solomon, the most intelligent person on earth who ever lived, says it is just not possible. You will be frustrated. It is only when you come to Christ and take that living water that he alone can give will you find fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. And when we are with him, when we see him face to face, all the questions for which we didn't have answers to here will be found in him. All of the answers will be found in Christ Jesus when we see him face to face and we wait for that day. And that's why Paul calls it a blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your patience. May God bless you and let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word this morning. We could study the writings of Solomon, who you endowed with with such a great wisdom, unparalleled wisdom. And yet, O Lord, when he went away from you and tried to pursue knowledge and meaning of life through it, tried to be a good man, a morally good man, and tried to find meaning through it, your holy word says that he found it to be frustrating unsatisfying, unfulfilling. It was like a chasing after the wind. Lord, help each one of us, even believers, to realize that if we try to live life without you, it it will be frustrating. When we don't have the right perspective of things in this world, it is frustrating because only in you do we find answers to the most deep questions of life. It is only in you that we find answers fulfillment and satisfaction. Help each one of us seated here, including children, to realize that. Father, we pray that uh, even as you spoke to each one of us seated here, we pray that we would live according to this word, honoring you, honoring the name of our Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We also pray for the rest of the activities that are going to happen today, the time of fellowship, the sisters' meeting, and the Hindi fellowship in the evening as well, Lord. We pray for your hand of blessing upon each one of them. May your son's name be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name.